Good morning. Good morning. With confidence. Hello. How are you guys? Good to see you all here. We're glad to have you here at church this morning. Um, if you are new with us, if you're a first-time guest or just been here a couple of times, I would encourage you to go to our information center after the service. We've got some lovely people there who just like to meet you, learn your name, and uh, so that we can let you know what we have going on at our church here during the week. Um, uh, I've got a couple of things to let you know about that we are having coming up. Uh, these are kind of a little ways down into the future, but uh, things that you should know about coming up. So the first one is our youth group, our high school youth group is going to be able to go and do their mission trip again this summer. They haven't, they weren't able to do it, go somewhere else to do their mission trip this last summer, but this summer they're going to get to go back to Lexington, South Carolina, where they've gone for uh, a couple of years now to uh, serve in that community. So that being said, the way, one of the ways that they fundraise for this trip, all the kids need to earn their uh, pay their way there, basically. So one of the ways that they do that is by doing rent-a-teen. If you've been in our church for a while, you are familiar with this. It's basically where you get to tell them what to do, but then you have to pay them for it. So you trade you trade a physical labor for cash, basically. But it's a great way to uh, get some things that you don't want to do, maybe in your yard, uh, to have a kid do it, and then you get to support these kids as they go and serve in South Carolina this coming summer as well. So there's little uh, slips at the info center that you could fill out, you know, just your name information and say maybe what you would like to do. If you don't want to do that, you want to skip the middleman and just go right to the person you need to talk to. You can talk to Pastor Dan Knutes and he can uh, coordinate and get you kids who can come and help you with whatever you want. So at the very least, be thinking of all those chores you don't want to do once snow is done this spring, you know, and have a list ready to go for the teens to come and work on it. Uh, the next and final announcement I have is that we're already planning for our summer church camp out at Thai Hack. So if you uh, are an extreme planner, this is not me at all. This, <laughs> this is coming up in July, so we are months away. But if you are good at planning, you want to just get your name on the list to be able to go do the church camp out. Uh, there is a list at the info center. Once again, I would encourage you to go there. Really great time. Great time to... Uh, just fellowship with our family in a different way. If you like the outdoors, you like camping, I'd encourage you to go along. And they do it over the weekend, and so they have a little devotional time on Sunday morning and stuff like that. And so would really encourage you to sign up for that if you uh, can plan something in July in February, uh, unlike me. So um, that's all I've got for announcements for today. Uh, let's stand together and we're going to pray to bless the service and pray for our offering as well. If you feel led to give this morning, we've got boxes at the back of the room. You can do that at any point in time. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for this time to come together to be the body of Christ and to worship you. Lord, we have gone through the last weeks and months and uh, years just trying to do our best to seek after you and follow you and connect with you and be in relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that in these moments that uh, you would be faithful to meet with us here as we worship you, as we look into your word and as we hear it preached to us, that it, you would open our ears and let the words that our pastor would bring and the words that we would sing together be 
good and nourishing to the soil of our hearts, Lord, that we would grow and grow closer to you because of these few moments. I pray also that you would give us each as individuals just a sense of togetherness with this family that we get to gather with. It's such a special thing to gather with the other people in our community who we all go out and do our own things, but each week we come back here and we connect with you and connect with one another on this Sunday morning by doing what we do. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to feel together. No one in this room should feel alone, so I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us to feel a sense of togetherness, a sense of community, a sense of unity as well. Lord, in these moments too, I want to pray for those who feel led to give, Lord, this morning. As, as they give and sacrifice what you have given to them, Lord, would you be faithful to their hearts and go ahead of them and help them to have ease of heart and ease of mind as they give, knowing that you are the provider of all, you are the giver of all, and you are a Lord who is uh, merciful and gracious, Lord. So we pray all this, expecting you to come and meet with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you all for singing with us this morning. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. I've got several scriptures that I'm going to be looking at today, so I don't know if I'll have you turn uh, with, <clears throat> with me to them um, because there's quite a few. <clears throat> but I want us to <clears throat> think about a subject here that is contained in this short scripture that I want to read. It's out of Second Chronicles, the 13th chapter. <clears throat> um, Solomon has died, and his son Rehoboam came to the throne. And Rehoboam was not a good king. And he didn't pay very much attention to God, which got him into trouble. And um, as a result, the northern ten tribes of Israel, there were twelve, northern ten broke away, um, established their own kingdom, and set up a guy named Jeroboam as their king. So now you have the king of the northern ten tribes of Israel, Jeroboam, you have the king of, of Judah and Benjamin in the south, <clears throat> Rehoboam. And there, it came about that um, Jeroboam was fighting against Judah, trying to bring them back um, into to join him, Rehoboam was fighting, so forth. So they have this war, they start this war, and there's a prophet that speaks um, to them, and I can't go into all of it, so I'm only going to read one verse out of chapter 13, Second Chronicles. Um, after relating to the northern ten tribes, we still have the temple in Jerusalem. We still have the priests offering the sacrifices. The Ark of the Covenant is with us in Jerusalem. You guys are on the wrong track. Then he says this in chapter 13, 12. So you see, God is with us. He is our leader his priests blow their trumpets and lead us into battle against you. O people of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your fathers, for you cannot succeed. Now what I want us to look at here is the thought of it's a kind of a difficult thought to get a hold of, really, when you think about it, of a two-bit pipsqueak human fighting against God. Let me define what I mean 
by fighting against God. And I want to define it in a way that I think is clear from Scripture, but it's also probably smaller than we might think in its detail. The simple definition of fighting God is to resist the known will of God for me as it is either revealed in the Bible or by the Holy Spirit's clear direction to me. It's both corporate. God says in His Word the same things to all of us. Yet He also leads each of us in our own daily lives, our paths. He will check our hearts if we're about to say or do something we shouldn't do. It's the little still small voice. It's His presence with us all the time, nudging us, um, directing us. It is the conscious resistance of that will of God that he's very careful and faithful to reveal to us. That's what it means to fight God. <clears throat> God has created us with a free will. We know that. I've heard people say, you know, we God makes his will known to us. He we see it in the scripture and so forth. And he's given us the right to decide whether we'll obey him or not. That's not correct. None of us have a right to resist God. We have the power to resist God. But we don't have the right. Why? Because he made us, so he owns us, and he sustains us every moment of our lives. He is the sole being keeping me alive. Jesus upholds, it says, everything in this world by his word, the word of his power. He gives me breath every day. I only live because he lets me. Then, because our the head of our race, Adam, sold us, him and all of us, his, his descendants, into slavery to Satan because of sin, Jesus bought us back out of slavery with his own blood. He owns us twice because he made us and sustains us and then paid with his own death and resurrection to redeem me, to buy me back out of captivity. Then, so he's provisionally provided for our redemption, but he awaits the act of our free will 
to get out of the dungeon, to escape the bonds, to be free from slavery. The power then to respond or to resist does rest with us, but we have absolutely no right because of what God's done for us to ever resist him. There's three things about fighting God um, that we want to look at. Maybe three reasons not, not to fight God. Um, let me just preface some of these with maybe no one here has done this, but if you're thinking about it, or you have, quit. There's a casual kind of acknowledgement that goes on among a lot of professing Christians today of resisting God and being angry with God. Yeah, and, then, and we treat it as trivial and as almost flippant as everyday activities. Yeah, I swept out the garage and I've also been angry with God and been kind of fighting God. What? We can't do that. Even that still, small, little check, don't say that. Don't pass that on about so-and-so. Don't just leave it alone. And we go ahead and do it. Now you might think, well, yeah, come on, that's so trivial. Listen, Jesus very simply said this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I tell you? Why? Why do you pretend that I'm your master and Lord, but you don't listen to me? I don't want to paint a picture today at all that God is, he, you know, he's got a club upraised and he's just itching to bring it down on the top of your head. And he's just looking for the slightest excuse that he can whack us good. I'm not saying that because he's merciful, greatly merciful. He tells us more than once. But in the end, he won't put up with resisting what we know to be his will for us. He just won't do it. So there's three reasons, at least, why fighting God um, is not a practice we should engage in. One... <clears throat> It's futile. It is futile. Now, <laughs> the list of people that have fought God and won is really short. <laughs> In fact, there's nobody's name on it. You can't fight God and win. Here's just two things God's all knowing, and He's all powerful. There is, 
I will read this, another scripture to us here. Luke 5. This is a case where the friends of a paralyzed man heard that Jesus was in the neighborhood, loved their friend enough that they wanted to get him into the presence of Jesus in the hopes that Jesus would heal him. Well, they go there, and he's in a house. It's so crowded that they can't even get close. Their desperation, though, drove them to climb up on the roof, and usually they were tiled or thatched, and so this could be done. They climbed up on the roof, and they took off a chunk of the roof so that they could let this guy on some kind of a stretcher with, with ropes, let him down through the hole in the roof in front of where Jesus was. They meant business. And so they, they let him down, and they asked Jesus to heal him. But Jesus looks at him, and he says, Young man, your sins are forgiven. He's paralyzed. What's the matter with Jesus? Doesn't he see what the problem is? Yeah, he does. He saw that he had a deeper issue. He said, your sins are forgiven you. Well, there were a bunch of Pharisees sitting there, the ones who were always tracking Jesus, shadowing him wherever he went, trying to seize on something he did. And we find in the fifth chapter of Luke, And I'll just pick up where I ended the story here. They lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. See that? He knew what they were thinking. You can't, we can't hide from God. Jesus knew, and notice it says, they said it within themselves. They just said it. They didn't even talk to each other. They just thought it. He knew it. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he said to them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, Jesus, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. Yes, they had. The omniscience of God means I can't plan anything against God that he doesn't know I'm thinking. And then second, he has all power, as he did here, to say, get up and walk. 
I'm God. There were numerous times where there's another place. They were in the synagogue on the Sabbath in Nazareth. There was a man there <clears throat> who had, it just says, a withered arm. Don't know what, but anyway, couldn't use it. And it says the Pharisees, who were stalking him everywhere he went, looked at Jesus and looked at that man and wondered, will he heal on the Sabbath? You're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. Even, I guess, God couldn't in form of healing. And so it says they eyed him to see if he would heal him because it was the Sabbath. And it said Jesus knew their thoughts. And it says, looking around on them in anger, he says to the guy, and here's Jesus, and I mean this in the right way. I like this about Jesus. You know, we have this idea that Jesus is just a limp-wristed, mealy mouth. He's so kind and just precious. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what it would in them so it says knowing that he said to him stretch out your hand and it's, he had the power stretched it out it was fine and it says they were filled with rage yeah Jesus knew they would that's why he did it to show them I don't <laughs> I don't answer to you I'm God I'm God. It's futile to fight against God. There's another wonderful illustration. Back in 1 Kings, the king of Syria, north of Israel, had been fighting them, plaguing them, plundering them, invading them, sending little bands in, not even his whole army, and just making their lives miserable. Crop time, he'd come in and take all their crops. And they were under tremendous distress. And Elisha was the prophet of Israel. And the Syrians planned a number of little invasions into Israel. But every single time they planned it. They did their best to keep it secret. They would set ambushes and so forth. The Israelites would escape. They would go a different way. They would repeatedly elude what the king of Syria was trying to do to them. So the king of Syria calls all these army, his generals, everybody together. And he says... Which one of you guys is for the king of Israel? And they say, well, what are you talking about? He said, every time we set up some kind of ambush or attack or whatever, they avoid it like they know what we're planning. They all said, we're not, you know, we're not for the king of Israel. One guy, we don't have his name, but he raises his hand and he says, King, I'll tell you what's going on. There's a prophet 
There's a prophet in Israel. And God tells him what you whisper in your bedchamber. And he tells the king of Israel, and that's what's going on. It's none of us. This is supernatural. The response of the king of Syria is ridiculous. He says, let's put together a secret plan to go find him, the prophet, like he won't know it. But he goes ahead with it. Meanwhile, Elisha's in another city. They find him. They go there, and they surround the city. And Elisha has a young, I guess, prophet understudy with him. And he sees that army, and he's scared to death. And he says to Elisha, my master, what, what are we going to do? We're surrounded in this city. Elisha doesn't answer him. He just prayed. He said, Lord, please open his eyes so he can see. And God answered. And the young man, it says, looked. And the hills all around the city, it says, were filled with horses and chariots of fire. An immense army of angels. And then Elisha says to that young man, there's more for us than there are for them. The end of it is, they still came against the city. Elisha goes to the gate. He opens the gate, and he prayed, and he said, Lord, strike them all with blindness. And the entire lot of the army were stone blind. Okay? And then they said, you know, to Eli Elisha, they said, lead us, take us back home. Elisha says, sure. So he, stuck, he took them straight to the capital of Samaria, gets them inside the walled city where they were captive, of course, they can't see. They're blind. Then he prays and he says, Lord, give them their sight. They open their eyes. They're in Israel's capital, surrounded, captive, caught, done. You can't fight God. He knows. It is futile then to resist God. There's one last proverb that I love. Simply says this, there is no wisdom or knowledge or counsel against the Lord. It's futile. Don't resist God. You will not come out on top. A second reason to never resist God. It's not only futile, but it's foolish. Matthew 7, Jesus said, if you hear my words 
and don't do them, if you resist what I'm telling you to do, you're like a man who builds his house on the sand. That's stupid, right? I, I had the high privilege of when Liz and I got married and we finished college and we, we went back out to the Northwest to go to a seminary in Portland. We had a little church, you know, they, they called them student pastorates. These little churches that this church was 25 people. It had never been above 25 people for 30 years of their existence. And you... I was the first, well, I don't know, for 30 years they'd been sending young seminary students there, and every one of them was there for three years. The reason they were there for three years is because seminary was three years. And the minute you graduated, you left like rats leaving the sinking ship. And so I get sent there. Never had anybody more than three years. And we moved into the, quote, parsonage. Okay, Oregon is wet all the time and there is a surplus of slugs. These big, long, brown ones. Okay. Well, the parsonage had a big hole in the floor under the kitchen cabinets and so slugs just were everywhere. Underneath the sink and, you know, there were those, they left those trails everywhere and we tried to do a little bit of work and I was up on the front little stoop just painting a sort of a little window in the attic up there and the whole place just started shaking and I thought what in the world is going on here and we don't have earthquakes in Oregon so I thought I don't know what in the world I climbed down the ladder and got I went into the house and Liz is just sitting there like nothing's going on. And I said, what in the world's going on um, here? Uh, she said the washer went on a spin cycle. <laughs> the whole house, the whole house. Well, so I climbed underneath it and discovered that there was only a partial foundation. The whole rest of the house had just four by four posts. Um, under the jo floor joists, down on a real good, solid asphalt shingle. That was it. Now, I had a pretty good idea. Well, I knew the former, some of the former pastors, and I suspected one of them was probably the one that did some of this in shoring things up, at least as he thought. And I had a lot to say out loud and to myself about what a dimwit I was having to clean up after. Jesus said, if you hear my words, but you just don't do them. I'm not talking here about cussing at God and gritting your teeth and you just don't obey him. You say Lord, Lord, but you don't.
do what he tells us to do. It's foolish. It's the stupidest thing you can do. Because Jesus said, winds and waves and storms and tempests are coming. And unless the house is built like a wise man who does what I say and digs down to the rock and lays a good foundation, that will endure. But you build it, you build it on the ground with a four by four post on an asphalt shingle, it's not going to last. Probably only two or three years ago, I had a video sent to me, text or whatever, to me, taken out of my former office window, which looked across just the driveway to that palatial parsonage. And I got to witness the Oregon City Fire Department practicing on that house, burning it to the ground. Um, and I texted back the person that sent it to me that it was the most satisfying day I'd had in quite a while because I can't tell you the number of times I wished I could have done that to it. It is stupid. It is foolish to try to build my life while resisting God. It doesn't work. We end up then, what's foolish is we work against our own best interests. The word lost that appears a number of times in the New Testament, describing people that are away from God, are headed for destruction. The word lost is very interesting. It lost, in our normal usage, generally is unintentional. It's an accident. I, I got lost. That's an excuse. The word lost, when Jesus frequently used it, was literally, it means to cooperate with the destroyer in your own destruction. It's to help and cooperate. And he uses the word apollyons in there of the destroyer. You cooperate with the devil in your own destruction. That's foolish. I'm helping him in his aim to ruin me. That's foolish. It's foolish, then, to fight God. The third thing, it is fatal. The scripture that I want to look at for this third thought is found back in 1 Samuel. I can't give you all of the background to it. But Samuel, at the direction of the Lord, anointed Saul, the first king, over Israel. And Saul started out good. It said God touched his heart and gave him another heart. After Samuel anointed him with oil, which was the custom, he poured oil on a 
person's head and that signified God's choice of them and with it came the authority to either they anointed prophets, they anointed priests, they anointed the king. And it gave them the authority of that particular office. And it symbolized God has chosen this person, therefore don't resist them. They're God's representative. So Saul started out right and he honored God. But in one particular case, God had had a long quarrel with a tribe of marauders, evil, evil, savage butchery on the part of a renegade wandering band called the Amalekites. And they had fought against Israel when Israel was leaving Egypt. And it says when they were weak and they were hungry and they were tired, they attacked them from the rear and they fought against, and it says they fought against the Lord. Even though they were attacking Israel, God countered. He says they fought against me. So he told Moses, he said, don't forget what Amalek, the Amalekites did you. And he said, I'm going to blot their remembrance out from heaven, under heaven. Well, he waited about 400 years. But he didn't forget. And he told Saul, he said, they have continued for all these centuries being more and more wicked and a thorn in the side of my people and my kingdom Israel. And he said, carry out my sentence against them and blot them out. Well, Saul went, took his army, and partially obeyed God. But it turns out, God said, you get rid, you get rid of everything they have. Their sheep, their camels, their goats, their cattle, their gold, their silver. Don't touch any of it. Burn the whole lot of it. Be, don't keep any of it. Samuel went then after this battle and he went to Saul at the place of battle and Saul greeted him. Came out and he said, I've done the will of the Lord. I've obeyed God. And Samuel said, if you've obeyed God, why do I hear the bleating of thousands of sheep and the lowing of thousands of oxen if you wiped everything out? Well, Saul said, I didn't really want to do it, but the soldiers kind of wanted to. And he said, they kept, we kept all this good stuff, the, the good oxen and sheep. We kept them because we're going to offer them to the Lord as a sacrifice. But he said, everything that was lame and had mange or three legs, we killed it. We wiped it out just like God told us. Then Samuel responds to him this way. What is more pleasing to the Lord? 
your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering rams. And then Samuel, this is a famous verse. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Now, I want you to know what this means. How many of us here would say, yes, I am willing, I would consider, in fact, if I was convinced, I'd do it. I would worship, I would be a Satanist. I'd be a Satan worshiper. That's the equivalent here of witchcraft. Would you do that? Most of us say, man, alive. If you read just the other day in the news, there's some place where a first grade club has been started in some public school by the Satanists. And they're trying to teach first graders to hate Christianity. I don't know where this is at, but it's in our country. And we're, even people who don't know God are aghast at that. Oh, can you believe that? Samuel said, rebellion is the same thing as witchcraft. Stubbornness is the same thing as worshiping idols, which were demon gods. Stubbornness is just stiff-neckedness. It's resistance. I don't want to do what I know God wants me to do. I'm not going to do it. Here's God's response. Rebellion is a sinful's witchcraft. Stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. So, because you have rejected the command of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. It's fatal to resist God. And I'm not just talking, let me just, from my own experience and many of us, God gradually, if we'll follow him, he moves us along to where we not only listen to God regarding maybe what we'd think are bigger things, you know, quit that habit. Don't be down sitting at, I guess Jake's is out of business, aren't they? Anyway, you know, don't be a lush to sitting down there falling off sideways off the stool. Okay, we can obey those things. But there, there are other times he keeps moving us so that we're more and more sensitive to God's spirit. There are times when he says, don't have that attitude. I know you're in a rough spot and it seems like things are piling on you and you don't know what's going on. But I have a plan here and I'll get you through this. But like my mother's favorite phrase, sweeten up. 
That she, you sweeten up. Now, what were we doing? Pulling a gun on her? No. We were just being snotty, bratty, only an attitude. I was raised to where if you turned and you said to your mother or your father, no. The ground moved under you. There was a crater there. I don't get that with parents. Yeah, let, now let me talk with... No. No. I was not abused. I don't mean that. But you just simply didn't... You know what? Because I learned you don't say no to your mom or dad. It was a good hindrance to me saying no to God. God just prompts us, listen, there are times when, and I won't even tell you how recently, but there are times when you're in darkness and fog and your heart's heavy and you pray and you can't seem to find God and you get to complaining if you're not careful. Lord, can I retire? You know, I've been doing this for nearly 50 years. I don't say this, but you think, what have I done, you know, in a former life? Can't I just have peace? Anybody here ever said that? You're lying if you don't, if you deny it. But even then, God, there's just kind of a, it's a kindly kind of a, knock that off. Stand up straight. He told people that often in the scripture. Joshua, they got beat at AI. He's laying on his face. He's bawling. Lord, you've, you've, you've deserted us. He said, Joshua, he said, what are you bawling for? Get up. Deal with things like I tell you, you'll be fine. Listen, even in those small, apparently small, we can get a spirit of resistance to where God describes it really well back in the Old Testament, at least the King James Version. God says, you withdrew the shoulder from me. You know what that means? It just means God laid his hand on our shoulder and said, now listen. And we go, That's what he's talking about. It's of the spirit where resistance or wholehearted obedience takes place. It is futile, foolish, fatal to resist God. God help us no matter what we go through to, when we're tempted to, resist, don't do it. Say yes. There is an old hymn, can't even remember the title of it anymore. But it just says, teach me, O Lord, 
to check the rebel side. Don't do that. There is, there is such a deep peace, assurance, sense of favor when we obey God and we know I'm minding God. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's bow our heads. While Dan leads us in a closing prayer, don't listen to him. Ask God, Lord, any place that I am kind of dragging my feet, and I'm already betting that you know it, we are, any place where I'm not giving you the sweet kind of obedience that you're after and that opens the windows of heaven to your blessing. Forgive me for it and help me turn and obey. In the quiet of the sanctuary this morning, I want to give everybody an opportunity to close yourselves in prayer this morning, just exactly like our pastor just encouraged us. So pray for just a moment, quiet your heart before the Lord, and then I will close. Father in heaven, I truly believe that if we keep our eyes fixed on you, if we always have a heart of gratefulness toward what you've done for us through the cross and through your shed blood and through the raised Savior that we serve, I believe we will hold off this attitude of rebellion. Because Lord, with grateful hearts, it's hard to pull our shoulder away from you. Help us to remember, we obey by your grace. But first, we have to obey in our hearts, turn our faces toward you, and walk with you. And then it's by your grace, to your glory. Help us to be a church that does that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Have a great day, everyone.